Welcome to part two of my nutrition podcast. This is The Swim Brief with Chris DeSantis. And if you haven't listened to part one, you really got to listen to it before you get into this one because two things. One, it's really important that you sort of know who the players are that I'm about to interview. Um, I'm putting this up. I think you should be able to tell the difference uh, between the voices. But in case you're looking for the order, it's going to be Allison first again. Uh, Trevor second and Erica third. So listen back to the first podcast. You have a sense of who those three people are. And then I promise when you get to the end of this podcast, when everybody else has said their final piece, you're going to hear what I have to think about all of this. And um, it's been really fun putting this together. It's been a lot of work putting it together as well and splicing the different pieces of it um, and recording all of it. So I hope that you like it. And uh, I look forward to getting your feedback on it, uh, write me at swimbriefpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to me, christycoach.com, christy underscore coach on Instagram. But let's get right back into it. In this second part, I press each of them on where do they draw the boundaries of their expertise and some of the stuff that they feel more or less emphatic about. And um, the stuff with Allison that you're going to hear first we actually recorded in, in two parts because I asked her about a few things and then she wanted to come back and explain some more. And so I gave her the opportunity to do that. She, um, she, she, she recorded in, in two different pieces. Um, and she, she's, you know, she's a consummate, uh, professional. So she went back and she did her research and made sure she had all her ducks in a row, um, in order to, to provide you guys and me with the best possible information. So I really appreciate that. Um, so listen to that in the first part and Trevor, um, and of course we finish with Erica and then my conclusions at the end. I hope you enjoy it. One of the things I was just about to ask you about that I think you're actually speaking to is, um, where do you, where do you limit your advice? You said actually, uh, in our last little converse piece of this conversation, I don't do diagnoses. I leave that to um, medical doctors and I have a different role. What other limitations do you, do you set on yourself by saying, I'm, I have an education, I have a background, I have certain knowledge to bring to it, but here's where I draw the line. For instance, um, if we could use an example, supplementation, where, where will you give advice to people with regards to supplementation and where do you go? That's beyond that's beyond me and I'm not going to give advice one way or another on it. I mean, the really, really simple ones that I will just like be able to definitively give an answer are like, if you test low in a nutrient, um, if you test low in vitamin D, if you test low in iron, um, if you test low in vitamin B12, like those are kind of the more common ones that, um, <laughs> that being said, I can also teach you how to, get that into your diet through food. On the other end of things, um, there are certain supplements that are more well-researched than others. And there are certain supplements that I know more about than others. I'm gonna draw the line in recommending a supplement that I don't know much about. That's, there are so many supplements on the market, vitamins, minerals, proteins, herbals, um, you know, in the sports world, 
branch chain amino acids and creatine. Um, I'm looking at scientific literature first. Um, yeah. I'm going to either randomized control trials or meta-analyses on the research for that specific um, supplement. Focus on the condition that you, or problem that you want to fix. And I personally, I know that I've done the homework enough when I can, when I've looked into something and I have made sure that I'm clear on the science behind it, on the processes behind it and why it works or why it doesn't work. And I can articulate that to somebody. I think that's important too. And I can articulate the reason why. Now there are, you know, some supplements that have been more widely researched than others. And um, there are also varying levels of safety within the supplement world, right? So I'm gonna recommend ones that have been more widely researched and the ones I know about the most. And then on top of that, I'm going to recommend the ones that are third-party tested, safe, don't have a lot of ingredients that are unnecessary. I try to avoid proprietary blends, which means the the company. Yeah, they won't disclose the amount of, of what's actually in there. How much or even what actually it is. Um, so I guess the answer is always it depends, which is not everybody's favorite answer. <laughs> One of the things that I've observed with Erica Biney is that um, she she says that she uh, is using DNA testing to give uh, a diagnostic on the levels um, of of a enzyme mthfr is uh what it's called um and i actually think it's a really pertinent question you say you're working in a gynecology office you know and folic acid is something like i know from having a wife with two children is commonly found in prenatal vitamins you've you've uh you've given birth um the answer is not everybody has to be scared of folic acid but okay. there is a good chunk of the population that maybe should. And I will say that this is an area that DNA testing can really come in handy. Um, okay. Determining if you have the gene mutation, the MTHFR gene mutation, that among other things that we don't have to get into, it determines your level of ability to um, methylate folic acid, which means, basically, basically means it's converting to a different form in the body. Folic acid is the synthetic form of vitamin B9. Um, it is made in a lab, which um, some people have things against and some people don't. Um, but folic acid is a synthetic form. Not everybody can convert 
that folic acid to folate in the body. Folate is the form of vitamin B9 that is found in your food, okay? Body knows what to do with it. No questions asked, it just does its job, okay? Um, this can affect, like if you are consuming folic acid supplements or folic acid in your cereal or in fortified foods um, and you have the mutated MTHFR gene, it could present in some pretty undesirable symptoms for a lot of people. It could be um, fatigue, fogginess in your brain. Um, there could be issues with blood clotting, muscle weakness, um, abnormal growth patterns, right? So it could be pretty serious. Um, why that is going back to pregnancy, why that matters in pregnancy. The reason why we consume folic acid or folate in pregnancy is to prevent neural tube defects, right? Normal growth in the fetus. Um, so if you're getting a form of folate into your system that you personally cannot process, then that fetus is not going to be able to process it either. And you're at higher risk for neural tube defects. Okay. I'm not sure totally, and I probably should have looked this up before talking to you. I'm not sure the, like, the incidence of people that have the mutated MTHFR gene. I know that it's higher than, I know that it's relatively high. Right. I know it's less than 50%, but I know it's a little bit more alarming than what you might hope. It's, it's not like 5%. No, yeah. it's, it's more than 5%. And I think it's even more than 20%. I, I can look it up later and let you know if you really want to add it in. But Yeah, no, um, I, I, I actually think you should, because one of the things that Biney, I've seen her site is she said that it's showing up, showing up on 90%. 90% high. Tests. That seems high to me, high. but I don't know. So I'm asking somebody who might know. Yeah. I mean, maybe um, it's showing up on 90% of her tests. Sure. Maybe. Well, she's the only one who would know. Right. Um, but I'd have to, I'll go back and look at the, the, the um, statistics and I'll let you know. Um, the, the fact is, if you have this gene mutation, you should be working with a doctor because there are other things that could be going wrong, right? Yeah. And I mean, the simple fix is to not consume folic acid. Um, and you do probably have to, you know, if you have synthetic folic acid in your system because you can't process it, you probably should take care of your liver a little bit, have some cruciferous vegetables, get some nutrients in that are going to help you help your liver work to get that out, right? That's like your broccoli, your cauliflower, your cabbage, things like that. Um, that's not, that's like the most basic, simple I could have said like it's definitely more there's more to it than that but um, like it can pretty have some pretty serious implications if you're consuming 
folic acid and your body is not tolerating it. That being said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess what I, what I'm hearing, you're going to have to do other diagnostic testing basically to figure out what your levels of some of this other stuff is, you know, so you actually know what's going on. It could definitely increase your impact of nutrient, other nutrient absorptions as well. Cause if you're not absorbing folate, then you might not be absorbing other B vitamins well either, or iron, or you might present with anemia or, and that's like a, a very, there are different types of anemia, right? So we approached them. I didn't know there were different types of anemia, but I'm learning. There are many different types of anemia and we approach them in different ways. So it's, it's not as simplistic as saying, don't, don't take this supplement. There's also other things that you have to do to rectify the situation. What do you think when you're looking at the um, stuff she's posting? I think, and this goes with any social post, like you said before, like it's very easy to say, here's the problem, here's the solution. I have thought to myself on many of, on the, not many, like I, I can't say I'm closely following her, but the posts I have seen are sometimes I'm, I think to myself, okay, but what about this? And what about that? And what if this person has this condition? And what if this person has that condition? And what if this person doesn't have the money to pay for that supplement? Or what if the, like, there's a number of things that I think about. Um, I do... I do wonder um, how well she's digging into the research and, and okay, I'll admit there are some topics on there. Maybe she did the research on and I haven't done the deep dive on it. So maybe she's right. And I don't know, but I do sometimes think it's a little dangerous to put information out there when to the general public, when it could, when that should be very individualized advice. So that's really my, my biggest qualm with her. Um, and anybody that puts claims out on some, at the same time though, I am going to throw this out there. I am not active on social media. So, I mean, there are, Times where I could go out there and say, you know, this is what you should think about in these scenarios and all the different areas that you can think about. And I'm not doing that. So I'll just put that little disclaimer out there as well. Okay. Um, And on the other hand, she's getting people to think and getting people to think about their health and getting swimmers in particular to think about their health. And I think that's a good thing because I, I, it is really important, but I do think sometimes maybe thinking about the way you put out that message is, is important and thinking about how that's going to come across to the masses. Erica's out there in the space. It's something I think about in terms of my own social media presence, because sometimes I think I'm missing out by, by not being like, this is what you do in this situation. But I just, (laughs) it just, I start to think like, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I've, I've suffered from some disordered eating in my life and I was heavy restricted on candy and binging as a little kid. And 
I always think the risk of putting out some generalized advice um, that could ha have like a real big negative outcome outweighs the plus of sounding super definitive and right about things. But it seems like, you know, it uh, it makes things a lot harder for you in, a, in an environment where you're getting attention right. for things. So For sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes it hard for me to want to post on so like I want to post on social media I want to put out good advice yeah. to people and good tactical things applicable things to daily life and I sit there and I think well how's this going to come off to somebody like this how's this going to come off this way and and it drives me nuts so I don't do it yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's one of the reasons why I do this podcast this podcast at least when I get into a topic I talk to somebody for an hour that's mm -hmm. can't do that. <laughs> All right. Um, so um, I wanted to come back because um, we left last time and over the course of the rest of the day, I started thinking like, oh, I didn't really explain that very well or um, you know, I even I even had the thought, you know, maybe I gave Erica a little too much credit um, where and I wasn't as hard on her as I am in my mind all the time. So, yeah, or the way you would be in a professional setting if that was somebody who you were right. doing something with and they were giving that advice, you would be like, right. no, don't do that. Exactly. Um, so. I just wanted to clarify some things really. So sure. one of the, actually one of the things I said I would follow up with was this statistic on how prevalent the MTHFR gene was. Um, and that is part of this because that was really hard to find, mm. really hard um, to find. And not just like when you're looking at a Google search, a simple Google search will say 30 to 40%. Okay, well, when you dig a little deeper into that, like I, for the life of me, could not find where that statistic came from and still haven't found it. Um, but it's being cited by over and over and over and over and over again. Right. And I just got to the point where I had been digging for so long, trying to go to resource sections of all these articles and find it, and I wasn't finding it. You that, were never finding the original, like, re medical research that said right, 30 right. to 40 percent of people exactly. have this. Exactly. Which makes me think, like, okay, like, somebody got it somewhere and I'm just not finding it. Or that research was done years ago and it's not, maybe not as relevant now. I don't, I don't know that for sure. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, I did find... The Journal of the American Heart Association did an article on it that cited those statistics, 30 to 40%. And in particular, um, it was 20 to 40% of white and Hispanic in individuals have one gene mutation and 8 to 20% have two. And I'll explain that. So Yes, I, I would love to know the difference between those two things. <laughs> the, MTHFR gene, everybody technically has two of them. You get one from each of your parents, okay? 
So if you have, if one or both of your parents has the gene mutation, it will show up for you as having the gene mutation as well. Okay. okay. So the gene mutation that is kind of the most prevalent and one of the most studied is the C677T mutation. And that's the one with most of the, um, like that's what that 20 to 40% is based on. Okay. okay. Um, if you have one gene mutation, meaning you got one mutated gene from one of your parents, um, that means you are heterozygous for the gene mutation. It just means you only have one. <laughs> um, that is shown to have a 65%. I mean, that, that means that you have 60, around 65% enzyme function for um, MTHFR. Okay. So 65% like relative to a typical person. Relative to 100. Yep. Relative okay. to a typical person who should have 100% efficiency. Okay. If you are homozygous, which means you have two gene variants, it's down to 30%. Okay. Makes sense. The right. math makes sense in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm glad that was easy. Yes. It's pretty, it's pretty simple. Um, and then there are other gene mutations where, and, and these statistics I found were just as a um, aside, North America, Europe, and Australia combined. Okay, so the three continents. Um, so it's not even just the United States. Yeah. Um, that be, It's also shown in Hispanic people more, right? I think it was 15 to 30% of Hispanics versus 10 to 15 of whites and even less in um, blacks. So um, still could potentially be alarming if we think and we know that these gene mutations can be damaging to our health. Okay. Now here's the aside. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> with the variance in gene mutate the 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 gene mutations, okay, you could have elevated homocysteine, right? Elevated homocysteine is linked to very inflammatory conditions, heart disease, um, possibly thyroid conditions, possibly. Um, you know, mental health implications. But when I did some further digging into, you know, research studies on the effects of these MTHFR gene mutations on those health conditions, everything was very inconclusive. As with most research, as most research is, <laughs> Um, right. There's always more research needed, more research needed all the time, but I didn't really find very much strong information either. Well, let me just make sure I understand you because you said like it, the, the 
MTHFR um, gene mutations can affect homocysteine levels. And there's a con there is a documented scientific connection between homocysteine levels and these other conditions. But it's mm -hmm. just making the leap all the way from the gene mutation to the conditions on the other end. Right. So, and homocysteine is um, a little bit more knowledgeable than your average person. That's something you can do a blood test for, right? You yes. could find out your homocysteine levels yes. um, by drawing blood and then, then probably have a more accurate conclusion about whether you are at risk for those other conditions. Right, exactly. There we go. So this takes me back to Erica's original article on the MTHFR gene mutation, which is titled, Why Are We Not Talking About the MTHFR Gene? I know the, exactly the one you're talking about, so I'm so excited you're gonna come talk about this. <laughs> and the answer to that, the simple answer to that question, why are we not talking about it? First of all, people are talking about it. Science is talking about it. It's being research is being heavily researched right now. Why is it not being talked about by many health professionals? It's because the research on it is so inconclusive and so variable. And so we don't, it's so complicated. We don't have many answers on it yet. We have some, we know, we know that there are links and we know that there are things that you know, we might have to worry about and does it hurt to take methylated B vitamins if you are, if you have this MTHFR gene mutation? No, it's not going to hurt you. It's going to cost right. you a little bit more money. Yes. <laughs> um, that being said, if I if I go back and look at the sources that she used on that article, not a single one of them is a primary resource. They're all secondary, tertiary at best. So just for the audience, what is a primary resource? What is a secondary resource? Okay. A primary resource comes from the source. It is firsthand research done by a scientist, a lab, um, it's scientific research that you would find in a journal, right? Okay. A secondary research source will take that primary resource and publish it into their own thing, a book, a podcast, an article, right? Technically, her article should have been a secondary resource. I see. But, but yeah, okay. because of the resource that she used, None of them were primary. Hers is so far removed from the actual research that it got a little sensationalized. Yeah. Um, and that's my big problem with it and with that information that she put out in the first place. Um, she made a lot of bold claims in that article and her resources were two books, a podcast, a Harvard Health article from 2008 that I didn't 
really, I mean, it was somewhat relevant, but not totally relevant. Um, and then at the end of the article, she said, what can you do about this? Buy my genetic test and see yes. if you have the MTHFR gene and that gene mutation. And that is where I have a problem. That is my big problem with everything not everything she's put out because she, I, I'll, I think I said this before and I'll say it again. Swimmers need to know how to eat better. They need to feel better. And a lot of her pro posts are unproblematic. Right. They're pre-meat, pre-meat meal suggestions. Right. right. Where to, where to eat at this meet, which is great information to have, right? Um, yeah. That's a question that I get all the time from kids that are going to meets. And people want to know that stuff. So fine, but we're not just sticking to that. And that's where I have the problem. Um, it's a red flag when you say, here's this possibility that could come along with this test result by, by my test. And I'll fix it for you. Right? Like, it's not as simple as that. Uh, that is the conclusion I came to looking through all of this. And I will, I mean, I spent quite a bit of time digging into research on this topic and talking to other dietitians and more time than I probably had. <laughs> <laughs> so, you started you started to scratch that itch and then you I, just had I to... went I went down the rabbit hole and <laughs> yeah. and and I'm not saying that we science will never prove those claims. They might. Well, they might. Um but one thing I've learned is that anytime anytime you learn something about science, you have more questions. Right. And I think her, her approach is not to question anything, it's to just say, oh, this means this, plain and simple. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, you know, one of the things I think about a lot, I guess the comment I want to make on this, um, and I don't know how much of my own commentary I'm even going to include in this, but I, you know, I happen to base the stuff that I'm doing, of course, on a field that has some social science research um, backing it up. But I do think that there's a problem where, you know, and I, I try not to do this. I try to draw a pretty hard line between like when I'm doing stuff and I just go like, I'm just doing this because in my experience, you know, coaching people, this is, this is what I think works versus like you can, you can write, if you go secondary or tertiary with any kind of research, research, like you can find a way to shape it to what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Anyway, what you already think is right. And, um, I think it can be really misleading to people to do that. I mean, again, I, I go back to my thing is like, sure, in positive psychology, there's a lot of research that, you know, like this intervention or that intervention actually has an impact on um, mental health vis-a-vis -vis 
like uh, decreased probability of depression, anxiety, whatever. Like, but I just go out into the field and say, I'm not qualified to tell you what depression or anxiety is, and I'm not qualified to treat it. So even though I may be doing some of those things because I think that they're valid and I think that they are helpful, um, it's sort of like where you get to the next step and you start wrapping it in the like, did you know you had this health problem? Well, I can help you diagnose this health problem and tell you what to do about it, mm -hmm. right? That, that I think is the piece where things get, get problematic. Percent. All right. Is there, is there anything else you wanted to add on this? No, I don't think so. I think I got what I wanted out and, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just hoping that, and not just with Erica, not, not, I mean, not just with this specific person. I hope people take a look at every source that they're getting their information from because it i mean i was taught how i was taught how to dig into this stuff and most people are not and google and instagram and tiktok can be very scary places yeah 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 absolutely and and i think that's the other you're pointing to the other part of the responsibility like you, you, as somebody who is a influencer, you have a responsibility to contribute to the quality of information. Right. So you're either going like, well, that's just how it is. And like, I, you know, like I got to do whatever it takes to be successful. Or you're actually saying like, no, I, I'm going to be a responsible actor in here. And maybe that's going to cost me some money. It's going to mm -hmm. make it harder for me to do what I'm doing. But like, I, I, I believe that really wholeheartedly. And here's Trevor Gray again and in your opinion who's qualified to read like a, do you, you reference blood work here a couple times who, who do you think is qualified to, to read that a registered dietitian your doctor and then there are genetic um, counseling services who have people trained in genetics i would it seems like some of those companies which i don't know any of them off the top of my head are um, able to do that for any particular client. Okay. But that, those are the type of people you, you'd feel comfortable personally, like giving you advice even, on the basis of your blood work, I guess. Even, is my what I'm doctor, um, even my doctor, probably they're not well-versed in genetics and nutrition. So probably not my doctor. I would look for, gosh, yeah. See, this is another reason why I'm not getting a genetic test is the interpretation. Even my small understanding of it all. I, I couldn't interpret it. And so some sort of genetic counseling company maybe can. We're just in the dark and, ages of it. Yeah. I mean, I, when I look at it, like with my own doctor, like I I think because because of what we discussed here earlier, because the consensus seems to be that we're very far away from it being useful in any sense. I don't think that that, you know, your your physician is is being trained in how to read any of that. Why? Because it's not relevant to the work that they do. All right. I may make a supplement recommendation to some friends. In fact, yeah. I have done that. Yeah, you've done that to me. <laughs> but I want feedback on that uh, immediately to see if it's either blood work or from your word of mouth. Um, general population, 
beyond vitamin D in the northern and southern latitudes, I wouldn't tell anyone to take, I, I take that back. I would do a multivitamin uh, after yeah. a diet analysis, after diet analysis. And if they are low in a number of micronutrients and you just know that to incorporate all the different foods uh, necessary to get all those micronutrients. So beyond vitamin D and a multivitamin mineral supplement, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give any advice to the general population. And I've said to you a number of times, I've gone, Hey, Trevor, like, why don't you get in there and start offering people advice and why, why, what you respond when I say that to you and um, why, why you have that response. I've done some online coaching for training only in the past. And I don't like it because I, there, man, you got to know the person on some level. And I think that philosophy can also be used for nutrition advice is unless I'm around the person and observing them and seeing how they're interacting online, I'm not really comfortable with that without some data, without, if they were to give me a seven day diet analysis, then I would feel comfortable like, Hey, this is what this app is saying. And here's my recommendation for what you need to change. And even then it's in the realm of color, variety, moderation, and, and enjoy your, it would, it would be food recommendations. It would be like be eat some more of this or eat yeah. some more of that. Yeah. I would probably be okay. So vitamin D um, is, it's really safe and the upper level limit of vitamin D is really high. So I feel comfortable. In fact, I, I could say this comfortably now that pretty much everyone in the Northern latitude should be taking a vitamin D supplement. We're putting the cart in front of the horse. We just don't have the data yet and insight in in comprehensive comprehensive understanding of genetics and as it relates to nutrition, let alone genetics period, as it relates to nutrition to make any meaningful advice. And I get it. It's exciting. Hey, look, we could take these genetic tests and um, give people advice that's relevant to them. I mean, that is that's the gold standard. That's what we want to do. But with out understanding the complexities of genetics and and i you know i i've looked at a website and i could be missing something but i don't see any experts on there that have been trained in genetics and and have uh you know advanced degrees in nutrition to go mm, yeah this is a good resource I, I just think that we're putting the cart in front of the horse right um yeah, I, I have made a similar look to see if there's somebody sort of there's a, somebody uh, 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 somebody behind the curtain there that, um, you know, brings an education. I, I'm not a full on education snob. Right. I mean, I can accept that um, there may be a person out there who is self-educated, who is capable of giving really good advice. But I guess. Um, that leads me to my second question, just from your level of expertise, when you look at some of the advice that she's giving, what do you, what do you think of the quality of it? The only one I can remember is the methylation part is that, uh, yeah, there is a genetic predisposition, predisposition for certain people who, um, don't methylate correctly is a way to say it. And yes, perhaps if you take some methylated folate or B12, that can help the situation, but you should be getting blood work for that anyway to test your homocysteine levels. And you don't, you just don't need a genetic test for that. Just use what we currently have until we 
map out what all this genetics means as it relates to nutrition and human performance. Does that ring true to you? Well, when you say types of carbohydrates, the body breaks down in the digestion process, all carbohydrates, all sugars into a monosaccharide. So fructose, glucose, and a few others. I'm not going to go into all of them. And the protein channels that take in these monosaccharides, could you have less of these protein channels and therefore less absorption? Sure. Um, But that usually results in a stomachache. And even you may not, even if you have a genetic marker that says you can't manufacture enough of the GLUT4 protein channel to take in glucose, um, you probably already know that with based on upset stomach, the sugar gives you an upset stomach. Um, and if it doesn't, if you feel fine, then keep taking in the sugar like that. And you don't need a genetic test to say, hey, don't, don't eat this, in my opinion. Um, to your knowledge, like, what would you, what would the first step be? I've seen her talking about, uh, she's on with my swim pro who's a, uh, famous, uh, swimming YouTuber talking about how, um, about diagnosing him with lactose intolerance Yeah, via her right. diagnostics. Do you, do you think yeah. that's valid? Yeah. So that was actually an easy genetic test. And by the way, there are some easy genetic tests. Like, do you code? for the enzyme that breaks this milk protein bond, lactase, or uh, lactose, and the enzyme is lactase. And if you don't code for that, then you um, aren't going to be able to process this milk sugar. But again, you're probably already aware of that. And it's only, on top of it, um, only a small amount of your uh, white European peoples can process, they code for lactase, and they could process milk sugar. Um, so, and if it doesn't bother you, if it doesn't give you upset stomach or bloating or gas, then you're probably fine digesting it on some level, by the way. So here's the other, okay, here's a great example. Um, my high school coach is Caucasian and his wife is, uh, native Alaskan. And so their, their kid is, um, mixed race and he in high school would guzzle milk. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm not sure you could process that based on the reasons I just gave. But because he was a picky eater, that was one of the few sources of nutrients that he was getting. And I said, yeah, and if you're not getting upset stomach and you like it and it is giving you a source of nutrients, keep drinking. Now, if you get a genetic test at 10 and say, hey, oh, yeah, you can't be drinking this milk, he would be undernourished most likely without that milk because he was a picky eater. And so that's the kind of danger that you could uh, imbue on someone based on a genetic test. Do you think there's a danger in being as definitive as she is, uh, at least yeah. in her social media pre- presence. Because biology is so so complex and genetics is so complex and how we metabolize all these nutrients is really complex. And unless you know the pathway of any particular nutrient chemicals that are being processed in the body, then you're just guessing. You're just guessing. Yeah. Okay. I think like that's, I really, uh, okay. So here's the other thing. <laughs> at a, a nutrition we always get rolling at the end. Here we go. 
at a nutrition conference, a, uh, I forget it's, it's, um, he was, he was not a nutritionist, but he stood up in front of a bunch of room of registered dietitians and had a biochemistry book. It says, unless you study this, you cannot call yourself a nutritionist. And people were aghast at that right. comment. And you could hear the audible in- inhalation of like, what are you talking about? He's right. Unless you do a deep dive into metabolism and the, 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 the pathways of these nutrients, which is really complex, you don't have an idea of how this is working in the body. And with the predicted 135 metabolic pathways, um, it's a it's a crapshoot on to give any advice. Thank, thankfully, the body is a lot smarter than that, and it will take care of things as as it needs. It will get the nutrients it needs. It will tell you how to get the nutrients it, it needs. If you were, I guess I'll finish on this. If you had um, your coach, right? If you had a swimmer on your team. And they were saying, you know, I really want, um, I'm, I'm trying to make the Olympics in 2024 and, or I'm trying to make Olympic trials in 2024. And I have an idea that, um, my nutrition could be a lot more optimized. Where would you send them? What would you, what advice would you give them? Where would you tell them? Uh, I, would, I would definitely have them do a seven day diet analysis, ask them how much color are they eating? Are you getting the rainbow every week? If not every day of color, because Color equals micronutrients. And then I would look at their diet analysis and make sure that they're getting adequate carbs, fats, and proteins. And if they came to you and they said, you know, Trevor, like that's kid kid advice. Like I want, you know, I want, I want the next level. What would you tell them? Where would you that send is them? The next level. Otherwise you're just guessing. I really, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to dial in your protein, which is a mathematical equation. I'm going to dial that in and for them. And how do you get all this protein? And in my opinion, it's going to be extremely difficult for any athlete to get the amount of protein they need from food alone. So yeah. supplementation with a protein powder is a high consideration. And then uh, I'm going to look at their mic- micronutrient intake and make sure they're getting all that. There is one other supplement that I encourage them to uh, look at, which is creatine for sure. The position statement paper from the International Society of Sport Nutrition is really good. And they're basically recommending that every human on the planet take creatine because of the benefits of it. And um, I would have them consider that as well. And I would make sure that uh, everyone knows, even if they're an adult uh, swimmer, I would make sure that they inform their parents of this nutrition so that they can help them at home and all the other coaches on staff and, and any other staff at a university or club team, they, everyone needs to know what um, nutritional changes any particular athlete is making. Therapy. Conclude once again with Erica and when we get past Erica, you'll hear my conclusion at the end. So gene testing is being done right now. And one of the genes they test is MTHFR. And mm. MTHFR. Yeah, we want to talk about that. Here we go. MTHFR <laughs> doesn't look like a nice word. Um, so MTHFR is one of the genes that comes back on GeneSite. And if you have mutations or genetic variants on that gene when it comes to GeneSite, and we also test two different alleles of MTHFR, folate, vitamin B9, is one of the first combats to relieve symptoms of depression. That's what, I mean, it gets prescribed. Our NP will prescribe folate for people because of a gene site test. 
So I would argue it is being done right now in medical offices. You'll test MTRR and MTRR codes for the protein that breaks down homocysteine. So if you have idiopathic hyperblood tension, or not hypertension, high blood pressure, hypertension, you can find out because there's not a reason for your high blood pressure if you're healthy, if you don't have clogged arteries, if you don't have valve issues, but you have high blood pressure, what is it? right? It can actually Mm. be your whole testing levels and you don't have the protein there to break it down. So you can take a supplement to help with that, not a medication, a supplement. So it's being done right now, right? But I will say, does doing a genetic test make you a faster swimmer? No. What you learn from the genetic test and how you implement right? Let's say depression. If you have depression, you do a genetic test, you find out you have two mutations on MTHFR and you start taking folate and you start taking methylcobalamin and you start treating your body so you can methylate the right way, your depression can become relieved and you're going to be able to train better. You're going to have a better outlook or you can swim faster, right? So mm. it can lead to a way to help people understand what's going on inside of them of actionable changes that can lead to an outcome of better performances. Okay. So MT, yeah, I always mess up these letters. MTHFR. Yes. Okay. Um, In talking with Allison, um, uh, my RD uh, friend about this, you know, essentially what she said is why would you take a genetic test you know, the evidence around poor health outcomes, right, are actually one degree separated from the genetic variants. So what she means is essentially like we know that homocysteine levels, right, you have you referenced that, can impact several very important health outcomes. But why not just, you can take a blood test for homocysteine. Like you took a blood test to, to discover your ferritin levels. Why not build stuff around like tried and true, something tried and true, like a blood test. Um, and instead like go to something that's like a little bit like, that's one layer back in terms of where the sort of consensus uh, medical opinion is right now. So just like say the high blood pressure example, that's a good, that's a good example. If I go get a homocysteine blood draw today and my homocysteine is high, why? Right. What are the, what's the first thing your doc's going to do? Let's start you on. I actually don't know. I I can't get, I'm not that good. I, I, you say I could call myself a nutritionist, but I got educated just to do this podcast. So that's, we've, we're, we're all the way deep enough in the pool I, I can't go any yeah. further before, or I'll All drown, right. you know? Okay, yeah, uh, we don't want you to drown, Chris. We're, not, we're gonna keep you above so, the water for a little bit. You're like doing I wanna, a I wanna, yeah. inline dolphin kicks, you know, yeah. um, you know, vertical kick and you're drowning. We don't want that. Well, uh, I just wanna so, say, I, was like, I, I wanna push you hard, but like, I, I'm not gonna be able to fact check what you're about to say. So you, you're, you're gonna tell me what you they may check, hey, let's run a stress test, let's check your arteries. They're going to put you on a medicine. But is that medicine actually necessary? Or can you do a genetic test to find out, guess what, I lack the protein that, you know, this gene, MTR, MTR, is going to code for the protein that helps you break down homocysteine. And you just need more of that. So it can save you 
all the side effects of going on a drug because many drugs block other nutrients, vitamin B9, vitamin B12, iron, vitamin D, and now we have to take more of that. And how many times does somebody go on a drug and now we got to go on another drug to combat the side effects of that drug? We go Been down there the too. Drug. And I'm not opposed to medications. Like there is absolute right. time and place for it. But when it's unnecessary and our first line of defense is let's put you on a med, why aren't we asking questions? Why aren't we going deeper and saying, well, but why? I have high blood pressure, but I'm healthy. My arteries are clear. My pulse is low. My stress test is good. My EKG is good. What? Why? Why? You're supposed to tell me. Right. So why are yeah. we digging deeper into that and actually finding how the body's made and how that's affecting our, our processes? So MTHFR, your, your question about that, even a one degree or one percent difference can make the difference in the world. And they're using it in medical facilities right now in the gene site. Right. And so if mm. you have MTHFR mutations, especially as a swimmer, you are highly affected because you can't metabolize synthetic folic acid, synthetic cyanocobalamin, just made with cyanide, and you can't methylate that into the proper nutrients. So guess what? Now you have two issues. You have lack of the proper nutrient in your body, and you have excess of something your body can't deal with. It can't do anything with it. It's going to cause havoc in your system. So hmm. that's why we believe so highly in MTHFR is because so many kids are taking pre-workout with folic acid and 300% of your daily volume of cyanocobalamin in a single right. dose is cyanide-based B12 bad? No. Right? If you get a little bit right. here, big deal. Like we all eat things that aren't the per most perfect thing for us. Me too, okay? But when we're pumping our bodies full of it through supplements, vitamins, protein shakes, Vitafusion gummies, right? All of these things are not bad products, but for some people, they're actually just not working the way they're supposed to in somebody's system, right? That you can see MTHFR is related to fertility issues, 100%, mm. right? You're not methylating folic acid into folate, which helps prevent birth defects and spina bifida. Most, right, most common thing that we give pregnant women, right? I mean, common thing you um, get pregnant women is folic acid. Someone like me, I'm at least not processing 40% of that. So okay. why do well, I not process that? Because I can't methylate that. Now, if I have stress in my life or I'm over toxified from my environment, like being a swim coach on a pool deck or in chlorine filled water or in a hot tub all the time or whatever it is now i'm actually worse at that and now you're giving me you know 800 mcgs of folic acid every day and i can only process 200 of it what's mm. the rest of that 600 doing in my system what is the rest of this i'm just curious i mean as far as your understanding what is it doing so it does, there's a lot of things that it's shown to do. It slows down our digestive system. So you'll people, see people struggle with heartburn, indigestion, constipation, gut health issues, right? Most of our serotonin is made in our gut. So you can deal with some mental health struggles, anxiety, depression, right? It actually can attack our um, immune system, so our disease-fighting cells, so we can get sick more often. We can be more prone to that illness and sickness that comes. So it can cause a lot of issues in brain. Our brain function, if we are just filling our brain full of synthetic vitamins and it's attacking that, we aren't having the correct brain clarity, the brain function that, that we should, right? 
and I love, mm. you know, Gary Brecka's awesome. He was just on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he said this on multiple podcasts. Oh, my God. I'm going to ask you a question about Gary Brecka right, uh, when, right when you're done. I love okay. Gary. I mean, I've had some friends work with Gary. Um, I, we do some similar types of testing that Gary does, you know, very similar kind of beliefs on some of those sides of things. But I love his analogy of if you're having a full contact sport to get your kid to school in the morning and look at what you're feeding them. If you are flooding their system with folic acid and their bodies can't process it, 40 to 60% of the population is known to not be able to process it. Now, I would argue that in what we see, it's more like 90% of the people that we see cannot process it. Why is that? Their bodies are so small and you're giving them tons of enriched and synthetic items. That's all going right up here. Fruit Loops? What a nightmare. You have so much synthetic stuff. Plus, you have all the artificial colors, flavors, not sweeteners typically in Fruit Loops. But you have all these other artificial things that are just wreaking havoc on, on the system. You can go and Google Scholar and you can look up credible research articles that connect MTHFR to ADD, ADHD, and autism. Why? Because you're not feeding the brain the right way. So that's so my MTHFR story. You, you bring up Gary Brecka, and I guess it's, it's a great proxy for uh, another thing I want to push you on. Because I've, I've seen you share stuff from him. And... Mm-hmm. I guess I'll, I'll give you my opinion on Gary Brecker and then I'll let you respond to it is I think that he's, I think he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think that 90% of stuff he uh, really, really understands. I think he's 10%, hundred, like 10% completely full of shit, but he <laughs> says the things that he's full of shit about with just as much conviction as the stuff that he knows, like nobody else. And so I guess like, I have a bit of a visceral reaction to him in the moments where I think he's totally full of shit because I'm like, you're very convincing. Like you're, you're, you're extremely compelling, convincing person. And you're saying this with so much conviction and it's not true what you're saying right now. Um, What do you, what do you, what do you think as you listen to that? So I, I mean, I haven't, I love Gary and what he says. I, I don't know him personally, but I've had some friends that, you know, have worked with him and then they've only been said amazingly positive things about Gary and their work, like changed their lives, right? They had kids when they were said they were not going to have kids and just really cool stories. Everybody has that, right? And I still believe, you know, just in the broad scope, you know, somebody could look at our content and say 90% of what she does is awesome and 10% of what she does is totally wacko, right? Or mm. totally I do not agree with. So everybody has that. Any news outlet or any individual, we can agree and disagree with a percentage of their content. Um, I've never personally, maybe I just haven't listened to Gary enough where I've just heard him say the same thing over and over and over on different <laughs> outlets. I've never heard him say something that I was like, that is totally bogus. I've, Haven't I just, you heard the thing where he's talking about the cold pool in Beijing and that's what made no. Michael Phelps need to eat more? And Okay, well, no, I that's no, like... I haven't heard that. So that would probably make me go like, mm, yeah, mm, I, don't, I don't know about that. But, you know, like, I respect your opinion. I want to go look that up and just look a little more into that. All right, right? look, look, so look at that one. I, I guess I, I take your point that everybody, like nobody's, nobody's going to get it 100%, right? But... Then there's the discussion like that one of the places I wanted to get to is where do you draw the line um, on what you will, what advice you will give people and where you go like, 
I don't know, that's too dangerous. Like, I won't do that, right? Because yeah. we talk about that, like, you say, like, yeah, people might look at my content and say, like, most of it's great and 10% of it is wacko, um, which is probably closer to to the conversation I had with Allison, to be honest, about your um, content. You know, like, she, she would err way farther on the side of, she would be like, I, I really don't want to say anything that might have a negative outcome for people. So like, where do you personally draw the line and say, I got to be careful here because, you know, if I'm wrong about this, I could really mess somebody up in a way that I've, you're, you're describing, right? Like well-intentioned doctors trying to treat medical conditions they're giving advice to people and it's having bad outcomes for them. What's your like sort of personal philosophy on like, Hey, here's where I'll go and here's where I won't go. And, and how do you avoid putting the people that, that sign up with you at risk? A good question. So as a, not a licensed or, you know, registered dietitian, not an RD, you can't treat and you can't diagnose conditions, you know, like, um, I'm going to diagnose you with anorexia. And this is what we're going to do to treat that. I can't do that, right? And I don't want to do that. That's not our space. So anytime somebody comes to us and says, hey, I'm dealing with this eating disorder, it's not our space. I'm not a professional. I'm not a psychologist when it comes to eating disorders. We clearly draw the line there. That's not not a space we're going to enter into. Um, just a, just an example, I'm working with this girl in California, high school swimmer, very good swimmer, just worked on, did the genetic test, we're working on fueling, something's not going right. She's gaining weight, right? And there's no reason for it. So she had had some blood work with her practitioner, uh, mom had passed it on to me and like, hmm, look at this thyroid number. Do you guys ever talk about yeah. that? And they're like, no, like, okay, here's, here's what I see. To me, that's on the, on the low side, okay? Um, what I think you should do is, is talk with your doc about it. And if you don't get anywhere with that, maybe get another opinion. But to me, we're seeing symptoms. We've seen it for a year of that. And this could be a culprit. So, you know, I straight up said that this is not my space. But yeah. I'm here for you on that. But you want to know my opinion anyway, right? Like, is that right. sort of how and you would describe want, it? Like, what, would you, what would you do? I said, well, I would... Talk, find somebody that's going to address this before it's in a space where it's really bad. So find a sports medicine doc or you talk to your pediatrician if, if maybe they are willing to to work on that. You know, some some physicians, some medical practitioners are like, no, if it's within the range, we're not going to do anything about it. Other people, if it's, you know, even on the low end of the range, they're like, we, we got to address this. So find somebody that works with your beliefs and, and what you're after. And if you, you know, need someone else's guidance and nutrition through the way I'm here, but I, I, I'm not going to consult you on that because it's not my space. Yeah. So any medical, big medical conditions, you know, we're, we've worked with people with, who've had a heart transplant, but it's not yeah. related to their heart transplant. It's a post heart transplant. I'm trying to be healthy. I'm trying to eat the right things for my body. Can you help me? Yes. But I'm not going to talk to you about your heart meds and your transplant. And you know, I'm curious about it. I might ask questions, but I, I can't help you on that major medical diagnosis side of things. And I think people pretty I know that. It's, it's just not our space. And I want to refer you to the professional, whoever that is. Maybe I know somebody that might be a good option or you might have someone in your network that might be a good option. 
Yeah, I, yeah. So I, I, I think like what you what you said there. That's sort of where in this process of putting this podcast together, like I, you know, got to the point where I really wanted to reach out to you because I think that's something that we have in common, right? I mean, I have this background. I got a, I did, I did go to school, but. I think thankfully it was a 12 month program, which is the only reason literally when I said, I hear you, that my master's of applied positive psychology was very intensive and I could just be done. And honestly, if it had been 18 months, I may not have done it. Um, because, uh, at that point I did not want to go anymore school. I wanted to be out working with people and helping people and doing stuff Mm -hmm. and not sitting in a classroom talking about it. Um, and I think on the performance end of things like, I do coaching with people and I, I have to always be very clear on the front end. Like I'm not a mental health professional. I'm going to talk to you about stuff, um, that's going on in your mind, but I can't diagnose depression. I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. Like I don't have the certifications to do those things. So I, I hear us using the same language in that respect of it. But what I can do is talk to you about what's going on in your mind and give you a better process, um, going forward, um, I guess I, 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 I do get caught up in, you know, thinking like all the time, where is my place to sort of help and where is the boundary where I can't help anymore. But what I hear you saying is there's a piece of this, like that's, that's really on the performance end. Even when you talk about um, like people getting diagnostic blood work from their physician. I mean, one of the things that, uh, um, now I'll reveal something about myself. Who knows if this will even go in the podcast. You'll be like, Chris, you got to put this part in the podcast because <laughs> I think I hinted at it in the previous stuff. Like I had, um, a time several years ago where I was just, I just felt awful. And I went to my doctor I mean, I just, I won't get into like the, the, the full details of it, but I, I went to my doctor and I was like, something's wrong. Like, I feel like ass every day. Can we just like, can we do a comprehensive blood work and like, see what's going on with me? So she's like, yeah, I'll order you comprehensive blood work. I put quotes because now I get much more comprehensive blood work drawn every six months. Um, but she did it and it came back. And she was just sort of like, yeah, you know, your vitamin D is kind of low. And she prescribed me like a prescription strength vitamin D supplement. Mm -hmm. And like, go do that. Okay. I took the vitamin D supplement. I still felt like horrible. (laughs) And um, that pushed me to go down the concierge um, medicine route. And I um, sought out a company. I I won't mention them here that you know, offered to look at my, uh, blood work and make more sort of like customized recommendations on what I should do. And one of the things that I learned through that process is, you know, they're, they're saying like, you know, you're going to go and you're going to get a set of values and they have reference ranges for everything, right? Those reference ranges are based on, I don't know, a nice way to say this. It's going to sound mean coming out of my mouth. Normal people. You're trying to be, I, I still try to compete at a pretty high level for masters swimming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, normal is not good enough for me. And I, I think you probably work with a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'm not really not trying to be average, Erica. Like mm-hmm. I'm trying to be the best in the world. How do we optimize this? And I guess, I mean, I've saw, seen pretty dramatic difference and you're right. 
I can see it working and, and interfacing in the way that it's improved the way I use my PCP. I mean, I still go get a yearly physical. Um, yeah. It's actually one of the requirements of this concierge process is like, we still, we don't see you in person. So we need like a medical doctor to give you a full, like, look, like, look at you, you know, give that, that 15 minutes, of course, that they do in the doctor's office, but at least, you know, somebody to check your blood pressure, see you in person, um, and, and do that piece of it. But I actually get more out of my PCP as well, because now I know she, she orders the same set of blood work. She, she's copied it over from the concierge. She's like, this is a really good idea. And so now I can actually get blood work every three months. Instead right. of every six months, um, I can look at, at diagnostic stuff and she's actually taking information from the other side um, and, and working with some of that. So I do see some of that. And I guess there's no question in what I just said. I'm just going to let you respond no. a bit to it. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's true. It's about a team, right? And we tell that to people. Like We actually, even on the genetic test, look at some athletic pieces. We see athletic gene. We see um, your recovery gene. And I straight up tell people, I'm, I'm seeing you right now on a piece of paper. And I'm listening to you in our first conversation. We'll have more. But first conversation for 90 minutes. I am not your coach. I know something about coaching and swimming clearly, but I'm not your coach. These are conversations to take to your coach and say, here's what I learned. Isn't this cool? Now this kind of makes sense to me why I'm always like really, really sore in my legs when we rest or we stop lifting for two weeks and I just don't feel strong anymore. I can't hold onto the water. Like these are conversations you can take to your coach. So you need a team of people. We've actually worked with Artie's. We've worked with people that see registered dietitians as as people that help them in their nutrition. And we've worked with them too, hand in hand. They're like, we don't do what you do. You don't do what we do. But we can work together to help this person. So I think there's benefits in exactly what you're saying is as going to a holistic practitioner to maybe get outside the scope of your normal PCP. But also then, you know, using your PCP as I got strep throat. I can just prescribe me an antibiotic, why can I say antibiotic, right? Or, Hey, I got, I got to go in for my yearly checkup or can you do my blood? Or I got this bump or this lump thing. Can you check this out? What do you think I should do about this? Right. It's a team of people you need, right? Just like people need me. They need you. They need their primary doctor. They need their coach. They, they need a team. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, what you just said to me, it it reminds me of, uh, something that, I think I'll carry with me for my entire coaching career. I mean, I was, um, was over in Denmark. I coached after Georgia tech. I was a club coach in Denmark Mm -hmm. for, uh, several years. And, um, there was, we had a national team coach who it's such a small country that we would literally get every club coach in the country together once a month for a time period. And I'll, I'll always value that. Like, it's just such such a cool experience get to, to get, with a big group of people and like learn and discuss together. And I can remember one of the discussions we had at that time, you know, uh, Denmark uh, most notably had a swimmer, Pernilla Bloom, who won the 53 at the Olympics. Um, and this was actually, I believe prior to that, um, if I'm dating, dating it correctly, cause that was 2016. Um, but we, you know, you know, we knew she was one of the best swimmers in the country and we sat down and we did this exercise and he just said, I want, we're going to do a brainstorm. How many people make a significant contribution to whether or not Pernilla does well at an international meet? And we just sat down until we'd answered, you know, like 
we'd exhausted how many people it was. Mm-hmm. The list was like 25 to 30 people long. Yeah. And okay. so it, it, it defies, I think, what a lot of people perceive. I can remember for the first time, like I went to a national level uh, swimming competition. It was the 2008 Olympic trials. I worked there as accredited media. And so I was interviewing athletes afterwards. And I remember somebody saying to me, like, you know, this sport is just really, it's really simple. You know, the elite athletes, they have a coach and they do what the coach says. And that's why they're great. And I, I took it at face value. I said, I guess that is how it is. I don't, I don't know. You know, I've never been up here. That, that must be how it works. And I think of those two stories and I go, yeah, no, now I've discovered that's wrong. (laughs) It takes a village in any given situation. Um, and it takes a lot of people pulling in roughly the same direction. Right. Um, but, but not always in full agreement, uh, about what to do, uh, to, 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 to do stuff. And I guess what I hear and what you're saying is you see yourself as one of those people, one of those people that can be a part of a, a, a team for athletes. Yeah, I believe we are. For a lot of athletes, we're a part of their team. You know, we've given them new ways to improve their health, their nutrition, which affects their recovery, which affects their training, which affects their performance. We've given them uh, helpful tools when it comes to vitamins and supplements. Like, look at all this stuff you're taking in here, and now we know your body doesn't process it well. Right here, you, Chris, maybe you would or wouldn't be shocked, but so many international type swimmers are using stuff that's not sports safe, right? <laughs> it's like, where'd you get this? On Amazon? I saw it on TikTok. <laughs> right? Like, that just makes you want to like, freak out, uh, right? Yeah, tr- tr- Trevor and I have gone on this on this podcast and I've said, cause we did, we did podcast once on supplements and I just, I came away from it being like, what would I advise some athlete if they asked me like what supplement to take? I'd be like, don't take anything. Cause I, I don't know how to predict what's safe. <laughs> right. You know, exactly. We, in our, in our company, we partner with two brands in particular that use capsules of, of things. Um, they're both NSF sports certified. Right. So, you know, it's batch tested, you know, it's been put through the NSF certification so you can trust that process. Now, I always tell people, though, anytime you put something in your body, there's a risk. Right. Yeah. Even if it has a certification on it, there's a risk. There's a way less risk versus something you got on TikTok. But there's never there's no no risk options. Right. There's no no risk options. But even truly look at the, the I can't remember her name that used that cream in Europe. I got a ban because she tested positive for some cream she used. There's people that have tested positive for things in the water, right? From a mitol, mm. from there. So should you just not like use any medications? Should you just not use any creams you pick up at the drugstore? Right. It's, you can really go down the rabbit hole of going too far, honestly, of like, yeah, you could try to bring yourself a little nuts on that side of things. So, you know, there's definitely needs for, feeding deficiencies in the body. If you have a ferritin issue, that's a nine, right? We know you need to take iron. So what's your best choice? You want to feel better. So you probably need to use a NSF certified iron supplement that's on the market, like clean athletes or a thorn. I'm not sure if thorn has one, but thorn's a pretty good brand on their NSF, a great brand actually on their NSF line. Right. So Mm. you look for Mm. what you know is your best option. Okay. Anything on this list of things I asked you to prepare for that you think we didn't get to in this conversation? 
I don't um, think so. I didn't even really look at the questions too much. I remember when we talked about them, I brainstormed yeah. some ideas, and then I, I didn't okay. really touch them again. I think you, yeah, the scope of what we can do, boundaries, we talked about MTHFR. Yeah. Should you test it? Should you not test it? Everyone's going to have varying opinions because, I mean, on that type of stuff, genetic testing and, and MTHFR, it's just, it's not new. But it's just becoming new in the like to the forefront of the news, right? And so, yeah. it's you know USA Swimming at some point implemented ferritin testing and lactate testing, and at some point somebody probably thought that was crazy. Like, why would you do that? Just that there became evidence that it was a key piece to helping athletes. So yeah, we are on the for I would say on the forefront of doing something that is a little bit different and outside the scope of what somebody would normally do. But mm-hmm. believe it's clearly been a helpful tool for many individuals and it's everyone has their own opinions on it and that's okay well i i i don't know if i'm even going to include this part either but i just want to say thank you in case you can't tell i've enjoyed this conversation so where do we land in the end i promised you at the outset of this a conclusion and here it is i will tell you what i told each of them to their face because um, just so you guys understand me, how I am and how I operate, um, I'm not uh, one thing to one person and then, you know, show a completely different face on the other side. Um, I think I was very upfront with everybody involved, um, giving them feedback after the conversations outside of um, these interviews. Um, For Biney, I left talking to her realizing that in actuality, we do have a lot in common, more in common than I thought. In both our work, we are outside the normal educational track. You'll find thousands of sports psychologists out there. And as far as I know, only a handful of people with my background talking to athletes in the entire world. There is definitely a track for coaching like that particularly on the elite end of things. But consumers should be informed. I said on uh, in the conversation with her that I worry that she's 90% right and 10% full of it. Um, and in that 10%, there is potentially a lot of danger. I'd like to think, and I do think, my own percentage is much lower, but nobody is foolproof. I started this podcast wishing that Trevor and Allison would get more into the game. I worry that, and I I worry about this in my own business, that what entertains and seems more definitive and seems more compelling on social media is just not quality content. Like it's not actually educational. And so maybe I'm projecting, but I do sort of fundamentally believe that if something is easy to access, it's usually because it's not the real deal. There are exceptions, but they are few and far between. So I would love it if Trevor got in the game beyond giving me tips, right? I'd love it if he did in his own, you know, um, circumspect, careful way, share things that um, he was thinking about. And for Allison, I can see the limitations between what she'd like to be for athletes and what kind of boundaries um, and sort of strictures have been set on her in working in a medical practice. There's an amount of caution 
that, you know, I don't know is ideal um, when you're working on the elite end of things, right? When you're at, when you're talking about trying to be your absolute best um, and, you know, the, the, the boundaries of what you're going to be able to do has been set by uh, tort lawyers. <laughs> I just don't know if that's really the winning recipe. Um, to you, the listener, I hope I've provided enough context that you make an informed decision uh, in anything that you do. Um, I hope that I have sort of let you in on my process, how I evaluate people, how, what kind of questions I would be asking uh, in any of these situations. If you like this podcast, folks, I want you to encourage, I want, I want to, I don't want you to encourage, I want you to, I want to encourage you to show your appreciation. Putting together this podcast took a, such a long time that I'm stumbling over my words. As a small business owner, efforts like this one are not sustainable for me unless I can monetize this podcast in some shape or form. Um, so when I release this, I am going to place a link on my website to fundraise for the podcast in 2024. Um, I've set a, a goal around that. Perhaps I will share that as we go. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, if you feel like this podcast is educational, I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, commodify, you know, uh, support of this podcast that, uh, you know, I'm going to promise you extra special inside access and this, that, and the other thing. Just if you like this podcast, if you think that I'm providing something of value to you, I would encourage you to, um, Make a donation, make an ongoing donation, find some way to support this podcast. And my promise to you is that I will take that and reinvest that in podcasts like this one. Um, thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you in advance uh, for any donations you make, feedback you give. Swimbriefpodcast at gmail.com is one way to reach me. ChristyCoach.com. You can fill out a contact form. Instagram, Christy underscore coach. And I'll see you again soon.